The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. With the title, Three Strikes and You're Really Out? Question mark. A little bit different than your bulletin, but I want you to see that. As you're turning, speaking of songs, I want to tell you, I got a couple. You never know who listens to your sermons. And last week, I completely missed the thing that Meg played on the piano. I guessed How Great Thou Art, and it was another song. And I had a couple people, pastors, say, how did you not get that? And what are you doing listening to my sermons, man? I mean, it's kind of one of those things. So, um you know, uh, we all live and learn, and I uh, appreciate your grace in learning songs as we go through. Three strikes, and you are out. Well, it is football season now, but it is still baseball season somewhere in the world. And there was a story of the man who was uh, uh, umping a game. He was refing the game like this man, and, and uh, someone in the stands yelled, Ump, if I, had a, if I was your wife, I would feed you poison, the voice came. Because she hated the calls he was making, and, and the umpire could not stomach it. And glaring back, calling time out, glaring at the woman, he said, and if I were your husband, I might take it, ma'am, and uh, left it there. Three strikes, and she was out. Oh, boy. Well, whether you're good at baseball or not, one thing still remains. Baseball is built on three. You know that, three strikes. One, two, three, you're out. That's a pretty common thing. You know, we also use the word three in other ways in our society, don't we? We say third time is a charm. Or uh, another thing, especially when death comes, things come in threes. Even in the sports world, again, three goals is a hat trick. A three-peat is when we say a team has won three championships in a row. In scoring baseball, three denotes uh, the first base. And even in Scripture, we have threes all the time. If you think about this, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, isn't he? And the ministry of Jesus lasted approximately three years. Jesus prayed three times in the garden for the cup to be taken away. Jesus rose again on the third day, three days. And the devil tempted Jesus how many times? Three times. You wonder why baseball and where it got its influence, don't you? And Peter, of course, denied Jesus three times. We'll be looking at that today as well. And so in Mark 10, 34, and Andy will put this up, I want to remind you today that as we look at this passage about the three strikes of Peter, the three denials of Peter, that Jesus predicted this was going to happen. And they said they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about himself, Jesus is. But all this talk leads to the question. Peter is a professing Christian. Indeed, we would say he is saved. But Peter, in the episode we are going to get to, is going to challenge our notion of what it looks like to be a Christian. I mean, can a Christian really deny Jesus three times so blatantly and not be put out forever and ever and ever and ever? And yet, this is what we see. It's a contrast, isn't it, between living in the power of the Holy Spirit and living in the flesh. Because in the flesh, Peter was ready to tackle the world. He did, in fact. Remember what he did a couple weeks ago? He took that knife and he went right down the ear of the high priest's servant like it was hot butter uh, or, or butter, hot knife on butter. And so Peter is living in his flesh. 
But the flesh, the natural self, always leads to sinful behavior. It always leads not to resist temptation. It always leads to strife. And so as we prayed for self-control this morning, Peter is going to display for us a lack of self-control. In fact, he's going to do it three times. Very familiar passage for you. But the questions this morning I want to ask are, what are the signs that you're walking in the flesh like Peter? What are the signs you're walking in the Spirit as Christ was? And how can you know that you're doing that? And is it really true that three strikes as a Christian and you're out? And that's a big debate. Because, guys, if you're honest, at some point, even if you're a seasoned Christian, you have really struggled with the question of whether you know Christ. You really mess up, and you ask that question, how, if I'm a Christian, how could I do these things? Well, I want to remind you of the big idea today, and Andy will throw this up on the screen. Maybe not literally, but digitally, Andy will throw it up on the screen. Christians can sin terribly. In fact, her- horrifically. However, like Peter, who denied Jesus, a true Christian will go out and weep and go out and weep bitterly, for sin has no happy home in a believer's heart. How do you know if you're a Christian here today? How do you know if you've done three strikes and you're out, or is that even a thing? We'll get there, but I want to remind you that there are some pretty big people in the Scriptures that sin pretty boldly, and yet God called them men after His own heart, and people after their own heart. Friends, we see time and time again that God forgives people who sin big time. He forgives big sinners. Aren't you grateful for that? Because you were a big sinner. I was a big sinner. We were all big sinners, the chief of sinners in our own right, as God has put us here. And I want to clarify for you this morning. If you're a Christian here today, and you have truly repented of your sin, you can never lose your salvation. But if you use that as an excuse to go out and sin, and you use that excuse that Christ loves me anyway, it doesn't matter what I do, we would question whether you have salvation. Because that's the difference between walking in the flesh, walking in the Spirit, knowing Christ, and not knowing Christ. So this morning, three things this morning. The title is wrong, but the the strikes are correct. Three strikes I want to look at, three denials of Peter this morning. Strike one is this. We're going to see our weakness is revealed, the first denial. The second strike, second denial, we're going to see our wickedness revealed. And then our third strike, we're going to see our wake-up is revealed as Peter comes to his senses after his denials. But friends, I want to remind you before we get there what Peter has done up to this point. Peter has said in verse 31 of chapter 14, If I die with you, I won't deny you, Jesus. He had eye disease. He was self-exalting. In verse 37 and 40 of chapter 14, Peter was self-indulgent. He came and Jesus found him sleeping when he was supposed to be praying. And you say, well, he was tired, yes, but he had already warned them this night was going to come. Stay up, Peter, if you will. He's been self-exalting, self-indulgent. And then in verse 47 of chapter 14, there was a self-will. When they came to arrest Jesus, one of those stood by, drew the sword. Peter lacked self-control. He just went, woo, like that, to Malchus, the high priest, and Jesus heals it, we know from the other Gospels. And finally, Peter was self-directed. Verse 54 says, as we saw last week, that he followed Christ at a distance. So as you look at Peter's life here, and you say, I would never get to this place, I'd never see it. Just like most things in life, it's not a one-time, in-the-moment decision that gets you wrong. It's a building up of things that lead to a bigger thing. Peter's trajectory has already been going the way he's going. Let's look at it this morning if you're able. Let's stand up this morning as we read in honor of God's Word if you're able. Mark chapter 14. 
Praise the Lord, guys. We're flipping a chapter today. This is re- if you have a praise list, this should be at the top of your praise list after salvation. You're changing a chapter after almost six, seven weeks in chapter 14. Thank you for your patience. Let's read the scripture, God's word this morning. Verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And Peter went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Verse 69, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it, and after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. Verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately, that's Mark's favorite word, isn't it? Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Strike one, strike two, strike three. And he broke down. And he wept. Is it possible that a Christian could sin so badly that God's grace would not cover them? That's really the angle I want to take today. If you'll join me in prayer as we start this morning. Father, thank you so much as we look at a very familiar portion of Scripture. As we have the last several weeks, Father, may these lessons, whether they be new or whether they be reminders, Father, by your Spirit, be applied to the hearts in this room. Father, I cannot do that. I am not a changer of hearts. Oh, I wish I could, starting with my own, starting with so many folks, Father. But I pray, Lord, that your spirit move among us. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the grace in Christ. May it never get old. We thank you, and as we look forward to the Lord's Supper once again this week, as we rotate back through the months, may you be glorified in just a matter of moments as we take that after the sermon. We pray in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. may be seated, guys. Thank you so much. Well, I call your attention there to verse 66 as we look at the first strike, the first denial. Our weakness is revealed. And the heading for this one is, when we often don't witness as we should, our weakness is revealed. When we often don't witness as we should. You see there in verse 66, it says that Peter was below in the courtyard. So if you remember last week that the the high priest is in a very fancy building. He had two stories, which is not uncommon back then, but it's very fancy because it fit a lot of people. Jesus is being tried around 1 to 3 in the morning at the top. But below him in the courtyard, among the commoners, among the, uh, the high priest servants, among the, the soldiers and temple guards, is Peter. And Peter was below him in the courtyard. And Jesus, again, is above. And you remember that we said that somehow Peter got in. Peter is a Galilean. We saw that in the text. He has a weird accent. He, he, he looks different. He probably smells different too. But he does all this stuff. And how does he get in there? Well, we believe that Peter got in with John. John was a friend of the family of someone in the high priest's palace. And so they go in there. But you notice that Peter's witness is off. And in one of the servant girls of the high priest, just one of them, it's a girl. It could be a, a, probably a teenager. It's the same word that's used for Mary when she's spoken of. This is probably a middle teenager. Uh, I thought of Kylie here who just had a birthday. Well, Kylie, you'd probably be out of this bracket now because you're older now. But this was probably a junior high to an early high school age. And she came. And you notice that word came. She had an eye on him because things were a little different. 
She knows all the ins and outs of all the people. She knows the people who are coming and going from the high priest's place. And she's not familiar with Peter. Maybe she's suspicious of him. But Peter's going to start to warm himself up in verse 67. It's cold outside. It's, it's April-ish time around there. It's a desert, high desert. It gets cold. And seeing Peter warming himself, this high priest servant girl looked at him. She sees it. She observes him at first, and she knows he's out of place. But then you notice that she looked at him. This is the same look that Peter was to have on Jesus when he walked across the water. And Mark is very intentional to use a different word. She first gazes at him, and then she analyzes him. You all don't do that. Don't you love to people watch? Go to your local mall and just watch, or go to Walmart. Um, Target has it too, but go to Walmart and just look around occasionally and see. This is what this girl's doing. And the more Peter wants to blend in, the more he stands out. And you, she says, you are one, you are with the Nazarene Jesus. The Roman soldiers arrested them. And you remember all the disciples fled. It was the middle of the night. So there's a heightened sense of alert. It's DEFCON 1 or DEFCON 5, whichever the, the one was uh, back in the nuclear war days. And it's very emphatic. It means that, that they never got together in the middle of the night. It's, it, this whole scene is just out of place with a servant girl. But she calls Jesus a Nazarene. John 1, you know that question well. Uh, they, they said in John 1, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's the other side of the tracks. It's the other side of the town. It's, it's, it's past the stop sign on the gravel road back in the, the boonies. Nazareth is not the place you want to send your, 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 your kids. I told you before, my mama said never go to Paseo, never go on Troost, and never go to Westport. And I broke all those rules when I got in college. And Jesus came from those weird places. And Peter has been signaled out. He has a chance right here to witness for Jesus Christ. It's a slam dunk. How easy. You're with Jesus. All he has to do is say, yeah, I'm with Jesus. Got this. But he denies the Lord. And the question is, was this the Lord's planning? Was this preordained? Or did he make a choice? Yes. He made a real choice. Nelson, I did you there. Yes. But friends, the one thing he failed to do was to stand up for Jesus. His first strike was he failed to be evangelistic. And Andy will put this up. You want to know how to do evangelism, sharing the gospel? The best evangelism tool in your toolbox is the one you actually use to share Jesus. There's faith, there's way of the master, there's three circles, there's uh, umpteen other things that you can use to share Jesus. The question is, have you shared Jesus? Church member, you're faithfully coming, so many of you, so well. And, and, and I am guilty of this as too at times. The average church member, according to LifeWay, shares the gospel less than one time in a given year. You want to see this church packed to the house? Is that my job as your pastor? Is that brother's job and brother's job and sister's job and sister's job? Whose job is it to bring people to Jesus Christ? It's all of our job. Well, pastor, isn't that why we pay you all that, 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 that money? to make sure that the church is full of people and that people hear the gospel, partly, but partly too, you have a chance to be like Peter in your workplace, at your house, in your neighborhood, at your block parties, whatever, at the restaurant. Speak up. Share Jesus. Take a gospel track and give them Jesus. What if they don't come to know Jesus? That's not your problem. Your problem is to be faithful to share. And for most of us, that's the hardest part to start. Amen? I say that myself. 
But friends, he missed an opportunity here. And being nice, can I, can I just burst some cultural bubbles? Putting a fish on the back of your car, wearing a Christian t-shirt, saying Merry Christmas in a corrective tone when someone says Happy Holidays, that is not evangelism. That's just called being culturally Christian. That's not bad stuff, except maybe the correcting in a Merry Christmas angry tone. You need to work on that. Getting mad at Starbucks for selling cups that take away, you know, get, run the list, guys. Sharing Jesus means you go up to someone, can I tell you the greatest news ever? Oh, the Chiefs are playing next weekend? No. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that's the greatest news. And Peter missed that with his first strike. Second thing I want you to note in his first uh, weakness is revealed is that not only did he wit- not witness as he should, he didn't watch out as he should. Look back at verse 68, and this is very clear from the context. He, he just denies it. He just flat out denies it. No, you know Peter, no hesitation, but he denied it. I'm not with him saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. No habla espanol, no habla inglés, you know, or the other side of that when someone says that to you in English and they don't speak English. He denied it. He broke one of the Ten Commandments. He lied. He tells a lie to cover up a lie, and you've never done that, have you? And he went out to the gateway and the rooster crowed the first time. He can't remain around the fire to warm himself. He tries to leave the premises, but he wants to see Jesus. I mean, he's seen the miracles. He's seen everything. He's been as bold as he can be bold, and yet he still falls flat on his face. How weak the flesh is. He could have been a great chance, but the fruit of the flesh will be evident in his life. He wasn't watching out, guys. Mark 14, 38, if you want to look back there for just a second, didn't Jesus tell us this already? Mark 14, 38, Jesus is speaking here. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please him. We would end up in hell, folks, wouldn't we, without faith? And that's why Peter claims ignorance and independence from Christ. But we need to keep the safeguard there. And Andy, you can go ahead and throw this up as well, the second point here is that we must be careful to guard the simplicity of the Christian faith of simply trust and obey. Andy, it should just be the next click from there. Friends, following Jesus is hard. It can be hard. It will be hard. If you want to live a, 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 you know, a trial-free life as a Christian, good luck. It's never going to happen. This church is going to face trials. Your family is going to face trials. You're going to face trials and, and hard times. It's going to be there. But the question is, are we simply trusting and obeying what God has put in front of us? The greatest examples of Christians are those you often never hear of. Who's going to be the best preacher someday, pastor? Who's the greatest preacher of all time? Probably some dude out in, and he doesn't even know what the word dude means, out in South America, in the jungle somewhere, who's got a loincloth on and shirtless, and he eats bugs by day, and he eats grub worms by night but he preaches the gospel and he leads people to Christ. Probably the greatest preacher you've never heard of. Who is that person? I have no idea. But that man doesn't know a lot of seminary stuff, but he knows a lot of trust and obey. He knows that his God has said go and do it, and he does it. Who are the best employees? They're usually not the ones who have the best ideas. They're the ones who stick out and stay with it and keep doing it that are the best things. And we often need to watch out that we don't overcomplicate the faith. Peter did not have to have a theological treatise on what he was going to do. He just simply to have to have that trust and obey. Christ told me this is coming. I need to be ready for it. Friend, I don't know what you're facing. Watch out. Don't get so bogged down in the details of your situation that you forget to trust and obey whatever God has told you to do in that situation. 
It's like those old weather vanes. You all remember that? My aunt and, and uh, uncle still have them on their house with the rooster, you know, and the weather vane blows that around. I did not know this until this week. We got those from the Puritans, from the old dead guys, you know. They put those up there so that it was a visual lesson that that can be your faith. Your faith can blow wherever the wind blows, like that weather vane blows wherever the weather vane blows. But our God wants us to be straight and narrow on that path. Trust and obey. That was the first strike. Let's look at strike number two. So not only does he deny, he just flat out denies Jesus, but look down at verse 69 as we pick up the narrative. And, and the servant girl, the same one, she will not let him go. You just see this little girl walking around just in, G, in Peter's face, and he, he wants to go up and, you know, send her away, but he, he's at least showing that self-control. Verse 69, and the servant girl saw him and began to say to one of the bystanders, this man is one of them. This man is one of them. And in the text, it indicates that she might have said this multiple times. You know, it's like when a little kid, you're talking amongst adults, and the little kid's saying, Mommy, 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 Mommy. And they have the truth of what you need to hear, but you're too busy trying to figure it out because you're the adults and you got this, right? Well, this girl says, this is the man. But sin, and Andy will put this up, the first heading here is sin feeds even more withdrawal from the truth. Our wickedness is revealed here. When sin feeds more withdrawal from the truth, he goes from bad to worse. He goes from bad to worse here, complete bad to worse. And friends, right out of the gate, remember this, non-Christians are always watching us to see if what we say is true and how we live. And Andy will digitally throw that up as well. Non-Christians are watching you, aren't they? All the time. Non-Christians are watching to see whether what you say is true or it's not. And Christian, let me just tell you, there is grace when you sin. There is grace to cover that. But remember, for non-Christian, a good night's sleep is a great thing. As a Christian, you can sleep well in every circumstance because your God's got you, right? But we can't escape our identity. Even if we don't acknowledge our identities in Christ, others will. They'll remember that time. But when lies are told, they have to be covered by more lies, and it never looks good. But she said, he's one of them. And again, verse 70, do you see strike number two? He denied it. He flat out denies it again. But again, he denied it. He denied it. I'm not with them. I don't know this Jesus. Who is this man? Friends, non-Christians are always watching. Non-Christians are watching when those jokes circulate like locker room shop talk. Go back to election 2016 on that side note. People are always watching how you handle your kids and how you handle your wife. Now, let's be clear here. This doesn't mean, and you know that old joke, that you all fight in the car before you come in, but when you walk in that door, hey, how you doing, Pastor? How you doing? Great. This has been the best week of my life. Wife, what do you think? Awesome. Great. And they just had a slug out fest in the parking lot. We're not asking for that type of mentality, but we are asking that if you're a Christian, that as non-Christians are watching you, that sin will lead you to more withdrawal from the truth. The more you're in sin, the less you want to be in the light. And as you seek to live out for Christ, may I just encourage you that if you have sinned, you confess that sooner rather than later because it's only going to get you deeper in trouble that you don't want to be in. Well, let's move on. As he goes on, he goes on and he denies what happens. And you'll notice as we go through that, that the second subpoint here is that sin finally brings on a weighty rejection of the truth. It only gets worse. His sin takes him deeper, but it's a weighty rejection of the truth. And, and, and you look back there at verse 70, and he says, 
Uh, I deny it. And after a little while, after a little while, this could have been close to an hour, we don't know, but after a little while, the bystanders began to say to Peter, you know what? I think that little girl's right. He is one of them. And did you see what he said? He said, for certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. We have represented in our church, we have, we have the Deep South, we have some Alabama, some Mississippi, some Louisiana, we've got some Oklahoma, High Val, we've got a lot of folks in here who are from all sorts of different parts. We've even got some Kansas accents in here. Missouri doesn't have an accent, we just talk, right? But y'all who came into our state, bring, bring that accent with you, right? And they knew it, because he spoke so uncouth. He spoke so, ugh. You know how that is? It's like when you meet someone who, when you go to a foreign, when, when someone comes to our, who's a foreign exchange student especially, their English is perfect. You ever noticed that before? They speak like the King, the King James Version of English. It's perfect. And they start to learn the vernacular of us. They're like, what does that mean? Because that wasn't in the textbook. Because when they come over here, they've only learned the textbook. These people knew that Peter was a Galilean because he spoke like the hillbilly podunk folks out in Galilee. Does that communicate the message well enough? I grew up in the podunk hillbilly town, so I can say that, right? I love all the folks. But when he says here that you are a Galilean, he is calling him to the carpet because there's a weighty rejection of the truth. He's even rejecting his own hometown now. He's even rejecting his own upbringing. He's not just rejecting Jesus. He's rejecting everything he knows himself to be. Well, I'm not uncouth. I'm not one of those people. I don't talk like that hick over there. That's not what he does. But friends, sin will cloud your judgment. Sin will cloud your perspective. And sin will cloud your reality, won't it? Peter gets so into this that he even denies the very town that he's from. When you tell a lie to tell a lie, what else do you do? Verse 71 tells you how far the flesh will go. But he began, look at verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Don't forget that Abraham lied about his wife, who he said was his sister. You remember that? Noah got drunk and naked. Do we even have to talk about David? Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, we don't know what it was, but he acknowledged that he was a man of unclean lips, etc., 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 How far can a Christian go and have a point of no return? Well, you notice that he curses himself, or he brings a curse on himself. He's not cursing God. He's not invoking the name of God, breaking the Ten Commandments. He's, he's, I don't know how else to put this in modern-day language. He's beating himself up. None of you all ever do that. You dummy, if you just said this the last time, you would have got that job. Or if I could just do this and get my something and that, you know, That's what he's doing to himself. And it says he began to invoke a curse and to swear. He swore an oath, basically, may God strike me dead if I don't tell the truth. He's coming around. But he won't even say the name of Jesus. Did you notice what's lacking in those verses? He says all these things, and he he curses himself. He does all this stuff, but he finally says to the crowd, I do not know this man whom you speak. He doesn't even name the name of Jesus. When someone's in sin, the last name they want to usually hear is the name of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Whether they're a non-Christian, 
Look, you can pray all day in the name of God and in the name of Almighty, but when you throw the name of Jesus in there, you might as well throw in a hand grenade because it's going to start to rally things up pretty quick. Church, we have to be specific in who we believe in, don't we? But when you're in sin, it clouds everything. We are sometimes missing the point, but he swears, I don't even know this man. And Andy, if you want to throw this up, sometimes God will let us stumble and sin and be quickened again. Sometimes God's going to let you sin so badly so you can see how far you've fallen to come right back in. Peter, let let me just remind you here that Peter is the one telling Mark, the author of the gospel we studied for like the last three years of your life, praise the Lord, he's telling him these details. Peter is telling in detail to Mark what he did and did not do. How humiliating must it have been for Peter to tell this story? Did you ever think about that? Well, this is Peter. We can't trust Peter anymore. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of his denials, he now has all these people questioning him, probably in the early church. But the good news is is that he gets back up again, and he starts going back up again. But sometimes God's going to let you stumble before you see the up again. Last point is this, number three, strike one, our weakness revealed, strike two, our wickedness revealed, and finally, strike three, our wake-up revealed. Look at verse 72, and five hours later, immediately, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Friends, Jesus had already told him that this was going to happen immediately. It crowed a second time. Let me read for you. We won't turn there. Luke twenty-two sixty and 61. Hear this. As soon as Jesus was on the second floor, Jesus turned around and turned away and looked toward the open courtyard. And as he looked down, Jesus looked straight into the eyes of Peter. You ever been caught in a big fat lie before? And you know you don't want to make eye contact with that person because, or even if you're telling, and this is a serious topic, but if you're telling a joke, some of you are like me, you can't keep a straight face to save your life. So you look up here and look all around there and they're over here and you're like, what is wrong with that guy? And he's doing this and doing this. Somehow in God's good providence, Jesus was able to look down at the exact moment that Peter denied him and he saw him. Friends, Satan not only tempts us to remember our sin, but he also tempts us to forget the cross. In that moment, nothing else needed to be said. In that moment, our sin sometimes is that we just simply need to remember the Word of God. And as he looked, there was comfort because Jesus told him in Luke 22, he told Peter that, Peter, you're going to fail me, but you will rise up again. Christian, there is grace for you that when Satan tempts you that, and you fall, that you will rise up again by his grace. What a joy that is. Let that sink in for just a moment. Can you imagine the weight that Peter felt? Can you imagine the, 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 the berating he'd already done to himself to add another layer to that? Does God shame you in your sin? Does God bring you to a place where He wants to just keep adding weight on weight on weight on weight on your shoulders so that you won't feel anything anymore? No, I don't think that's what God does. But He will get you to a place to remember the gospel. Friend, if you're here today and you have utterly, royally messed up, 
and Satan is telling you that, oh, you can't be a child of God. Oh, you're not a Christian. Oh, that membership covenant that you signed, what's that, what's that church going to say about that? You know what? Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Amen? This does not mean that we take sin lightly. This does not mean that sin does not have consequence. But there is grace even in strike number three at the moment he locks eyes with his Savior and all this comes to fruition. You know this. This is nothing new. It's not earth-shattering for many of you. But oftentimes we preach to ourselves a false gospel. Well, well, Jesus, I sinned again, therefore I must not be a Christian. Friends, if that's the case, let's go home. Because you know what? You don't need a thousand Hail Marys. You don't need a thousand lit candles. You don't need a Buddhist priest. You don't need any of that. You need the Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know what he tells you? If you sin and confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's ongoing, by the way. You know, I think about these people who win these uh, million-dollar prizes, and I think, what would I do if I had a million dollars? I'd probably buy every running shoe there is. I'd probably go eat at Pizza Street a thousand times over. You know, I think all of my selfish things that I do. And I think about that person when they get down to the last 20 bucks and they go to the ATM and they hit that 20 and the, the balance says zero. What's the reality check for them? Friends, our Jesus is not an uh, ATM that you can go to and just withdraw you, everything without consequence. And it's not easy money with Jesus in that sense. But I'm grateful that the forgiveness of Jesus is like a bank account that never runs dry. He's always got something in the bank for you because when he died for you, it was enough for you. Amen? Don't preach to yourself a false gospel. If you have sinned, you write that with God. You write that with other people. If, if, if need be, the church or the organization, whatever it is, but know that there is grace for you. And notice lastly, God's wonderful grace brings us back to him. But finally, finally here, you'll see it. God's wonderful, or God's wonderful grace does bring us back to him. Notice what he says, verse 72. Before the rooster crowed twice, you'll deny me three times. Notice what Peter did. He broke down and he wept. God will break you sometimes, guys. He will break you spiritually to the point where all you can do is weep over your sin. If you haven't been there, you will be there someday. You will weep because of the people you've hurt. You will weep because of the consequences that you know are coming. You will weep because you don't know what that means for the future. But when you weep and you're broken before God, there's no better place for you to be. To the wind with Christianity that has us just coming in day in and day out, putting on our church faces that makes us look okay when really inside we're torn up because of our sin. To the wind with that. To the wind with a Christianity that says it's, it's wrong to cry in church because only weak people cry. Oh, really, our Savior cried over a death of a man that he created and saw, Lazarus. Church, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is what you do with the sin. And the Bible shows us the flaws of people all over time. And you know what that does? That shows that the, the Bible is actually real. Because if you and I were writing the Bible, we would only show our good stuff. We would have Facebook Bible edition. We would put out, our kids never cry in the pictures. Our marriage is always so happy. 
we never have any struggles. This is Facebook, Instagram, social media 101. You never put your bad face forward because what would people think if they saw me in light of that? Oh, they might think you're real. They might think you're genuine, and they might think you're honest. Friends, Peter, after realizing, after seeing his Savior, it was God's wonderful grace that brought him back. And what wonderful grace it is for you today because it's the same grace that carried you then is carrying you now. Taylor, I didn't plan this, but it's been in my mind since we spoke up here before service. Taylor had asked me, or I don't know how we got into it. We got into ministry stuff, and I, I've shared this with Nelson, but we, a few years ago, a friend of mine went back to our seminary class picture, and I'll end with this, and we went back to see how many men, and even women, at different very calling, various callings of ministry were still in the ministry. And brothers, uh, brother pastors, you know this well to be true. I think we were down to less than a third, almost 10, 12 years on, who are still actively in ministry, full-time, part-time, bivocational, pulpit supply, whatever level it is. And a number of those men, and even a woman in that group, refused to show the struggles they had. And because they refused to show the struggles they had, they just eventually just blew up and the rest was fallout. Christian, if you're struggling with a sin today, I would encourage you to find someone in this church you can talk to who's going to challenge you to seek Christ and seek other people. Because you know what that shows? That shows, like Peter, God has broken you, but you're part of his creation. Men, I'm going to encourage you, John Higgins, especially John and Steve and some other men who've been a part of the men's dinners, you guys have had this aim for almost five years at every men's dinner, have we not? That we'd be vulnerable with each other and show each other that even though we come to church, we're not perfect people. But guys, if you're sinning in here and you need help, come talk to us. We want to help you. You're not facing this alone. And by God's grace, Peter wasn't either because God was with him the whole time. Guys, we love you so much. Will you pray with me? And I'm going to invite our brother up to, to, to lead us as we uh, sing this morning. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you, our weakness, our wickedness, Father, even our, um, our wake.